Well, if you got your Bible with you this morning, open please once again to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. If you would, you can also go ahead and find Colossians chapter 2. 1 Peter 5, Colossians chapter 2. Both of these are verses you and I have looked at together um, quite a bit over the last several months. And I want to remind us again today of what the Lord said to us coming in to 2022. We got a word. I said, we got a word. You know, if you don't know what I mean by that, we, we look to the word around here. When I was, I don't know, 18, 19 years old, I had some friends and, uh, it was just my best friend and his wife. We spent a lot of time together. I was single. Uh, I must've been a little older than that actually. But anyway, we were hanging out one day. I was waiting in the car. They went into target and they came out and they kind of had like this sheepish grin on their face. I was like, what are you laughing at? They had bought me a shirt they pulled this shirt out and all the shirt said was, I make stuff up and they're laughing and I'm like, oh, thanks. You want me to wear a shirt that says I'm a liar? Basically, I make stuff up. Why am I telling you that? I don't know, honestly. As believers, we don't have the luxury of just making stuff up. And there's a lot of people that have just made stuff up, made stuff up about God, made stuff up about the plan of God, the will of God. And that's why we make a big deal out of his word, because if you'll stick with his word, you won't just be making stuff up all the time. What you need to know about him is in his word. What you need to know about his will for your life is in his word. What you need to know about his plan for your healing, your deliverance, your abundance, your peace, your joy. It's where it's in his word. So don't make stuff up. Let's go to his word. And in the beginning of this year, the Lord gave us a word concerning our future, the year that we're in and and the time beyond this year. And it came out of first Peter chapter five. Look at it again in verse 10 says, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. What's this year about for us? How we do in church? We are better than ever. That's what this means to us. When the God of all grace has gone to work perfecting and establishing and strengthening and settling us, whatever condition you used to be in, when this is happening, you're better than you were before. You're better than you've ever been. And again, we see it in Colossians chapter 2. Turn there. Colossians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 6, this is another passage we looked at quite a bit together. Colossians 2 verse, well that's Ephesians. It's a good one too. Colossians 2 verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have received Jesus, now what? Walk in him. Can I see the hands of those who have received Christ Jesus the Lord? Praise God. Now what? Walk in him. Walk in him. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And this is what life looks like. Verse seven, as you're walking in him, rooted, built up in him and established in the faith. Can you say those words with me? Established in the faith. So what is the God of all grace doing in us? He is perfecting us. Now, we've come to realize that word perfection doesn't mean flawless, 
Not after the flesh. It doesn't mean you've never made a mistake, never will make a mistake. That's not what biblical perfection is about. Don't make stuff up about what it means to be perfect. And don't say, well, nobody's perfect. We, we know that's not right because Jesus is. I said, Jesus is. And we have instruction in the word of God about how we can be too. And when you're not defining perfection as flawlessness after the flesh, you start to see that it means something else entirely. It means you're growing up. And it's about time we do, right? It's about time we start maturing in the things of God. That happens when we're, when we're children, physically, we're young, we, we're inexperienced, we don't know how to do things on our own, and there are childish mentalities that are okay to have, check this out, when you're a child. But how many of you know there comes a time in your life that you shouldn't still be thinking that way? You shouldn't still be talking that way, acting that way. There's some stuff that was okay when you were a kid, but Paul said it like this, He said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I understood like a child. I spoke like a child. And that was fine. But what did he say? When I became a man, I put away childish things. When I grew up, I stopped thinking, understanding, talking like a child. He's talking about perfect perfection. That's in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the same chapter of the Bible that says, when that which is perfect has come. He's talking about growing up. Talking about maturing. And here in Colossians chapter 2, you see what else he's dealing with. When you see this in verse 9, talking about Jesus in him dwells all the fullness of God bodily. Verse 10, and you are complete in him. Complete in him. I'm complete. You are looking this morning at a complete person. I'm not a puzzle with missing pieces. You are not a puzzle with missing pieces. You are complete if you're in him. That's where completeness is found because he's complete. Jesus did not walk this earth as a fragmented person. He did not walk this earth as a broken individual, broken in pieces. This is why back to making stuff up. You ever heard people say, well, we're all just broken. We're all just broken vessels. We're all just broken and scarred people. What verse is that? Don't just be making stuff up. I'm reading a verse that says you're complete. I'm reading a verse that says you are put together in him. And just as complete as he is in God, you are that complete in him. That's perfection. Now, I want us to begin focusing on what God's doing in our life when it comes to him establishing us. Isn't that what it said in 1 Peter? The God of all grace is perfecting and establishing. Now, don't disconnect that from what we learned early on about that verse. There's that little section of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, that I know a lot of people would love to perform a scripturectomy and just take that part out where he says, after you've suffered a while... Believe me, I've looked hard for translations that just leave that out. You're not going to find one. It's in there. The problem is, and here we go again, people have made stuff up about what our suffering is. They've heard the word suffering and assumed it meant sickness, assumed it meant poverty and lack. 
Don't make stuff up when the Bible is willing to define it for you. In that same chapter of 1 Peter, you, you find out what he's talking about when he talks about suffering. In that same book, he expounds on it. No, our suffering is not anything that Jesus bore for us on the cross. And yet there is a suffering that remains for us. What is it? Well, we talked about the suffering of submission. What is the suffering of submission? Not getting your own way. Now that's suffering. And anybody who ever says, well, I, just, I don't really have a hard time with submission. You know what they just told you? They've never done it. Because it is hard. It's hard on the flesh. It can be hard on the soul. The suffering of not getting your own way. Jesus did not redeem you from submission, from submission or submitting. That's still for you and I. What does submission mean? It means to bring yourself under. To bring yourself under the authority of God. To bring your will under his. To submit. And there is a suffering that remains for us, and it's the suffering of submission. He also talked in 1 Peter, right there in that same chapter, about the suffering of resistance. Resisting the devil. And it can be suffering on the flesh, because when you need to resist the devil the most, is when you want to do it the least. When you don't feel like it. When you are so feeling so defeated and so down and whether it's pain in the body or pain in the heart, the last thing you feel like doing is getting up out of bed, getting some authority about you, getting some faith about you and pushing back against your enemy. It can be suffering to do that, but Jesus is not resisting the devil for you. He's given you the authority to do it. He's given you the power to do it. And it can be suffering on the flesh. The last suffering that we looked at together was the suffering of submission, the suffering of resistance, and the suffering of persecution. We're not redeemed from persecution. You can see that as you read the New Testament. Persecution. What is persecution? It's pressure. It's pressure applied to the body of Christ from the world, by the world, to get you to uncommit. Is that a word? To get you to distance yourself from God, from his word, from your fellowship and relationship with Jesus. Persecution is just pressure against you. But if you're willing to endure the, that suffering, what's happening on the other side of it? Perfecting's taking place. Establishing is taking place, strengthening, settling. And I want to focus in today, and I think this is our direction for a few weeks. We'll, we'll go as the Lord leads us. But look at that phrase again here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 again. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk, walk in him. And again, verse 7, this is what you look like when you're walking in him. You become rooted, you become built up, and established in the faith. I think that's what I want to call this series. I didn't know that last week, but I'm retroactively naming last week's message. <laughs> established in the faith. And that was part one. I want to keep going with it today. Established in the faith. 
We're going to have to do the same thing with this word that we did with perfecting, that we did with suffering. We're going to have to come back to the Bible and let the Bible tell us what it means by that. When the scripture talks to us about establishing, it means some of what you think it would mean to be fixed, to be set. Um, One definition of it, and this is what we looked at last week that I liked, it literally means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. To turn resolutely in a certain direction. And the implication there is that you turn in that direction and you go in that direction. That's what it means to be established. We talked last week about what it means to be established on course. Man, you're not wandering anymore. You're not bouncing around. You're not trying one thing on the left, trying another thing on the right. No, you are established You have turned in a certain direction. You are going in that direction. This is what it means to be established. And I believe this is what the Lord wants us to focus on as we center in on what he's desiring to do in our life, in in this body, in this family, in your home, in your family. He is establishing us. In other words, he's giving us the direction that he wants us to take, that he wants us to go. We're done bouncing around. We're done wandering. We're done trying things on either side, man. We've got some direction from God, and that's the direction we are headed in. And that's a different kind of life than the rest of this world lives, and sadly, much of the rest of the body of Christ lives. That's a different kind of life. To go, to go with certainty, to know with certainty the direction that I'm supposed to be taking in my life And I'm not questioning it anymore. I'm not second guessing it anymore. This is God's path. It's his plan for my life. Anybody else done bouncing around? Man, you and I as believers, people full of the Holy Spirit, there's no excuse and no reason for us to live the way the rest of this world lives, trying things for 10 years or so, trying something else for another couple of decades only to find out, well, that didn't work. Come on, we can get some direction in 2022 that will carry us for the rest of our lives. And we can know with certainty what direction we're called to go. We can get established on that course. You ever seen anybody wearing a sweatshirt that's got the name of of an entity, a business, a company, a, a university? And it says underneath, established such and such year, you know, established 1850, established 1901. What is that trying to communicate? That's when we started. That's when we started doing what we were going to do for the rest of the life of that university, the life of that business. When you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, it's almost as though a, a stamp, a time and date stamp got put on you established, whatever day and time that was. What I'm telling you is you, and we talked about it last week, you used to walk, Ephesians says, the course of this world. All of us did. We walked the course of this world. But God who is rich in mercy, didn't we talk about that? What happened? He rescued us out of that path, off that course, and put us on a new course. So what's the instruction now? Great, you received Christ Jesus. You received Christ Jesus the Lord. I already had you raise your hand. Hands went up everywhere. Awesome. Now what? Walk. 
take a new path. And that's what was supposed to happen. The day you were born again, you got put on a new path, going in a new direction. And the Bible talks to us about different paths paths that we can take. One scripture talks in the Psalms, uh, David talking to the Lord, he said, you show me the path of life. Other verses say there's a, there's a path, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. So you've got a path to life, you've got a path to death. And really, those are the only two roads in this life. Those are the only two paths. Every person on this planet and who has ever walked this planet has been on one of those two roads. Either the path to life or the path to death. Now, again, if you just had to choose based on street names, which road you want to live your life on, the path to life or the path to death, I'm going to hang a left here or whatever direction life is going. Let's take that path. Amen. The path to life. Thank you, Lord. Go to Proverbs chapter four. Let's keep talking about this path. Well, I'm I'm moving too quick. You go ahead and find uh, Proverbs four. But I want you to continue to make this connection. What he said here in Colossians 2. As you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. And the very next thing he talked about was being rooted, built up, and established in the faith. Can you see the connection there? Walk in him, established. Walk in him, established. Established in the faith. The Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. And when you got over onto this faith road, when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you started walking a new road. Let's talk about what life looks like established in the faith, on this faith road. In Proverbs chapter 4, are you believing with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Look at this. We, We spent some time looking at this last week. I want to look at it again. This whole chapter is really this father talking to his son about the path that he takes in life. I want to skip down to verse 18, though. He said, the path of the just. What did I tell you a moment ago? The just shall live by faith. So the path of the just, which is the path of faith, it's it's like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day, complete day. But he goes right into verse 19 to tell you about this other path. He said the way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. You've got, again, two paths. That's it. The path of life, the path of death. The path of the just, the path of the wicked. And he said, here's how you can tell the differences in the path. Here's how you know if you're on the right one. The path of the just, it keeps getting brighter. It just keeps getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Now, the other path, he said, it's dark. And not only is it dark, but it keeps getting darker and darker and darker. And one of the big indicators that somebody's on the wrong road is they have no idea what keeps tripping them up. They keep stumbling over stuff. They keep getting tripped up and falling, and they have no idea. It's like trying to walk through a dark room. You know generally where the door is. But if it's too dark in there and there's a bunch of stuff in your way, 
You could trip half a dozen times or more just trying to get to the door and have no idea what you tripped on. Sarah and I were laughing about this sitting on the couch yesterday morning. In this first little house we lived in back in Fort Worth after we got married, um, I, I had um, been renting a house. We bought it together. Little, little house, great house. Justice was born there. We brought him home from the hospital there. And when he was probably two years old or so, uh, one night, man, I didn't know it was coming, but it was a rough night. I ended up later calling it the night from hell. It was a rough night. It started fine. We were laying in bed. He had gone to sleep. She and I started watching this documentary on this horse trainer. Really intriguing. We kind of got sucked into it. and It was kind of a fascinating story. At one point during this documentary, this guy's training a horse and he's got these other ranch hands with him. And this one horse was like demon possessed, like nearly untrainable. And this horse attacked one of the ranch hands, bit the guy in the face. I mean, he's got blood coming down his face. And, you know, this guy's a real cowboy. You want to go to the hospital? No. You know, an actual man. That's what I call those kind of guys. <laughs> and we had kind of gotten sucked into this documentary. And, and we watched it to the end. And everything was fine and normal. We turned it off, turned out the lights. We're going to sleep. Justice down the hall in the other room starts coughing. And we can hear this is not just a normal kind of clearing your throat cough. This is something down deep and it's going on and on and on. And the lights were out. The room was dark. And this must have happened in the middle of the night because I woke up. You know how you are when you wake up in the middle of the night? You're just not all the way there. And I was so familiar with the layout of this room that in the dark, I just threw the covers off and started going full speed towards the door, but didn't realize that for whatever reason, we had closed the door almost. <laughs> I went walking straight at this door, full stride. I ran perfectly into the, the narrow facing of that door, and that door smacked me right across my brow bone. It so shocked me. It stung me. I fell to my knees. Oh, and I let out a cry. He's crying. I'm crying. I crawl and make my way to the bathroom, turn on the light. I got blood coming down my face. Sarah's standing there with me. We had gotten justice. He's in our bed. He's coughing. I'm bleeding. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm trying to, trying to gather myself. And she starts laughing. She's laughing going, well, at least you didn't get your face bit off by a horse. And I'm like, yeah, at least. That's hilarious. Now, why am I telling you this? No, I mean it. Why? I have no idea. I'm asking you to tell me. When you're walking through the dark, right? You don't know what makes you stumble. You want to be on a path that's so bright and it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter that no matter what's in the way, all you got to do is walk around it. All you got to do is not step there right? That's one of the ways you know you're on the right path. It's getting brighter. It's getting clearer. It's not confusing. Glory to God. That's the path of the just. He goes on. He says in verse 20, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Listen to all these parts of you. He's talking about your ears, your eyes, your heart. 
their life to those that find them, health to their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. So we've got ears and eyes and heart and mouth. Put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Your eyelids look right before you. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do you see all the, the body parts, if you will, that he just kind of went through here that, that have everything to do with you ending up on the right path? What's getting into your eyes and ears has everything to do with you getting in the right path. What's getting down into your heart has everything to do with you end up ending up being on the right path. What's coming out of your mouth has an effect on whether or not you are on the right path. But did you notice it wasn't just eyes and ears and mouth and heart? He kind of went from head to toe there, didn't he? What did he say about your feet? Ponder the path of your feet. You should be thinking about where you're going. You should be giving thought to the direction that you're going in. Ponder. To me, that kind of paints the picture of somebody just stopping and thinking about it. Am I going the right way? Am I headed in the right direction? Has my path been getting brighter or has it been getting darker? Ponder it. Think about it. He said, ponder the path of your feet and then let your ways be established. In other words, after you've thought about it and you find out, yes, I'm on the right path or no, I'm not and I need to get on the right one. But once you've made it to that right path, now what? Let your way be established. Turn in that direction and go that direction. And he says in the very next verse, do not turn to the right or the left. Once you start down that course, let your ways be established. Once you start down that path, don't go off to the left. Don't go off to the right. Will there be a temptation to? Yeah, buddy. Absolutely there will be. And Jesus made reference to this. You don't have to turn there. Let me put this on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Look at that. Matthew 7, verse 13. This is Jesus talking about the paths in life. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the gate is the way that leads where? To destruction. So this sounds exactly what, like what the psalmist said and, and what Solomon said in the Proverbs. There is a way that leads to death and to destruction. But look at verse 14. Keep going. Talking about this broad path, he said, there are many who go in by it. But look at this next verse. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few which find it. Narrow is the gate, difficult is the way. So again, Jesus is talking about the only two roads in this life. One that leads to destruction, one that leads to life. Something bothered me about this early yesterday morning. I'm looking at this verse and I didn't like that Jesus said the way was narrow. We've known that. We've heard that. 
But he also called it difficult. Other translations called it hard. Now something bothered me about it because I know other things Jesus said. Jesus talked about taking his yoke upon you because his burden was light and it was easy. And yet he says here the way that leads to life is narrow and it's hard. I think many people, and you would agree with this, have have read that, heard that, and taken it to mean, man, the life of a Christian is a hard life. It's a life where you are going to have to do without some things. It's a life where it's just hard. It's drudgery. It is difficult. Jesus said the way is narrow. Jesus said the way is difficult. The way is hard. But the Bible says the way of the transgressor, that's the sinner. The way of the sinner is hard. So something's not jiving. Something is not making sense. If the way that leads to death is hard, the way that leads to life can't also be hard. What's he saying here? Well, here we go again. Don't make stuff up. When Jesus said the way is narrow, the way is hard, other translations use the word straight, but not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. It's S-T-R-A-I-T, straight. What is a straight? Well, a straight, think about it. You see it on a map, a straight out in the water somewhere is, is where there's a wide body of water. But then you've got these two bodies of land that kind of jut out into it and make that that body of water narrow down. That's called a straight. When Jesus used this word hard, it was the exact same word that the Spirit of God used through Paul, used through Peter, talking about persecution. Talking about trouble. Not in any way. Are you listening to me? Not in any way does that word hard refer to sickness. Not in any way does it refer to a lack of peace or a lack of joy or a lack of abundance in anything. It is not a reference to some hard, down, depressing life. You want to know what he's talking about? Persecution. Trouble. He said on that straight and narrow road, guess what? There's pressure all around you. There there is pressure on that road trying to get you off that road and back onto this other one. But you're going to have to make the decision. I am established in my faith. I am established on course, the plan, the path that God's put me on. Are you with me so far? You're there in Proverbs 4. Turn back a page. Look at Proverbs 3. I'm giving you a lot of scripture. You okay with this? Proverbs chapter 3. Here's a very familiar verse about the path. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord. Man, you might as well just say it with me. Come on. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not... On your own understanding. Verse 6. In all your ways. Acknowledge him. What's going to happen? He will direct 
your path. Here's another verse about the path. But you notice how it started? Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, you don't trust God with your head. You don't trust God with your brain. You trust him where? With your heart. And if you're, if you're looking closely here, you'll notice he showed you what the very opposite of that was. What's the very opposite of trusting in the Lord with all your heart? Leaning on your own understanding. I like that word leaning. Doesn't it paint a picture for you? Can you imagine somebody leaning up, leaning against this wall over here? If you're leaning up against a wall, what are you doing? You are trusting it to hold you up. You're, you're putting your weight and depending on it to sustain you, to keep you standing up, right? And he's saying, don't, don't lean, don't depend on your own understanding. What's the opposite of that? You're going to have to trust the Lord. You're going to have to trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. And then coupled with that is this. Acknowledge him in how many of your ways? All of them. Acknowledge him in all your ways and what will happen? He will direct your path. Help me out, church. If God is the one directing your path, which road do you end up on? Do you end up on that road to death? Do you end up on the road to destruction if God is the one? No, come on. If God's the one directing your path, you end up on this road that not only leads to life, it's got life all the way down it. If he's the one directing your path, that's the road you end up on. Now, here's the problem. There is this huge uh, misconception in the body of Christ. And you hear it said all the time. You ever heard anybody say this? Well, God's got a plan. Come on, help me, church. Anybody, you ever heard anybody, any preacher ever say, well, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Well, that's a true statement. But people say it, and the implication is that whatever's happening must be the plan. People say, well, God's got a plan. And what they're saying is all this junk that's going on in your life, all this pain, all this problem, uh, all this lack and, and, and whatever you, you don't have, all that, well, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And the implication is that everything that's going on is this plan of God. But what did the scriptures say? What did Jesus say? There's two roads, man. There are two roads. One's got life on it. One's got death on it. Does God have a plan? You better believe it. But let me ask it to you like this. Is everybody on this planet living a life whose steps are being directed by God? No. No. He will direct your path. If, what was the first part of that? Trust in him. Lean not to your own understanding. And here's the big one. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. And in, in the next couple of minutes, this is what I want to focus on. What does it mean to be established in faith? How do we become established in faith? It starts with acknowledging him. Who is God able to direct? Everybody? No. 
only those who will acknowledge him. This is how you get him directing your path. It starts with acknowledging him. Just take it back to that moment when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. You walked the course of this world. What happened when you acknowledged him? You were dead in trespasses and sins, but you acknowledged him. You said there is a God. You said there is a Savior. You called Jesus Lord. You believed in your heart that God had raised him from the dead. You confessed with your mouth that Jesus was your Lord. You acknowledged him. And what happened? He began right there redirecting your path. You got on a new path. Where did it start? Acknowledging him. Now here's the deal. However much you want God directing your path is determined by how much you're willing to acknowledge him. Whatever degree you're willing to go in acknowledging him, that's the degree he's willing to go in directing every step that you take. Now you can, you can take what it means to acknowledge God and there are varying degrees of it all across the spectrum. You have got many, most of this world who does not acknowledge that there is a God. Most of this world is not in agreement with you and I. They do not acknowledge that there even is a God. So what do we know about that? What do we know about them? Is God actively involved in their lives, directing their paths, steering them towards life? No. Why not? Why can't he? Simple. They fail to acknowledge him. But then you've got believers like us who have acknowledged, hey, wait a second. There is a God. And just that simple acknowledgement begins to open the door to him being able to direct and redirect your steps and your path. But sadly, many people, many Christian people stopped acknowledging him way back on salvation day. It's almost as though they made Jesus the Lord of their lives and said, thank you so much. I'll take it from here. Now, if you're willing to acknowledge him and make Jesus your Lord, glory to God. He can start right then. You're on a new path. You're on a path that leads you to eternity in his presence. And man, that is wonderful. But what did he say here in this proverb? Acknowledge him in all your ways. Most of the body is not acknowledging him. Then you get over to the strange group of people like us. Who's like, man, we want God all up in our business. And we acknowledge him in the morning. We acknowledge him at noontime. We acknowledge him when the sun goes down. We acknowledge him when we sit down to a meal at the table. We acknowledge him at the birth of our children. We acknowledge him when it comes time to be in a relationship. We acknowledge him all along the way. God, are you in this? God, is this your plan? God, I know you got a will. God, I know you've got a good plan for my life. I just want to know it. What are you doing all this time? Acknowledging, acknowledging, acknowledging. God, I know you're powerful. God, I know you're willing. God, I know you're able. Father, I got this job offer over here on the other side of the country. Uh, are you in that? It's a good raise, Lord. It's like 20 grand more a year, but I ain't going if you ain't going. I need to know, is this your plan? I need to know, is this your will? Father, there's this house over here. Man, you know we need a house, Lord. You know it better than we do. And it looks good. Is this you? Oh, that's not you? 
You don't want it. I don't want it. This is acknowledging him. Acknowledging him. In, in relationships, in our marriage, in our families, acknowledge him, acknowledge him, acknowledge him. And whatever degree you're willing to go to, to invite him into it, acknowledge him in it, that's the degree he's willing to go to in directing every single step that you take. Acknowledging him. Now I want to show this to you as an example in the scriptures. Go to back to the Old Testament with me to the book of Daniel. This thought occurred to me yesterday. Do you know what happens when God is directing your steps? Every step that you take. You want to know what happens? You end up, check this out, in the right place. At the right time. Doing the right thing with the right people. How'd you get there? Because that's a very, very specific place. Are you kidding me? That is a very specific location. The right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. I mean, most people at best are getting one of those right at a time. But you and I can live in such a way that we are always at the right place. Always at the right time. Always doing the right thing. And it's always with the right people. How'd you end up in that place how is that even possible? Well, he had to direct you there. He had to direct your steps right to that place. And how was he able to do that? Acknowledging him. In the book of Daniel, I spent some time just going over this whole book again in preparation. We're not going to do that. Don't worry. Uh, but I was amazed to see that really from the beginning of this book, this is what Daniel's life was all about. And his life, even though I know he's an Old Testament figure, there's a lot of parallels between his life and ours. If you go back even to Daniel chapter 1, you find that God's people had been taken captive. And they'd been taken out of their homeland and brought to Babylon. Even that is us. I'm telling you, this world is not our home. And we are a part and citizens of a different kingdom. Now, I know we're walking in this world and we're living in this world, but this is not our place. It's like we're foreigners in this place. That's what Daniel was like. He'd been taken out of his homeland and brought to this place in Babylon. But the scripture talks about him and several others who came to be known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what it said about him was that the king picked the ones who were the best looking, the king picked the ones who had the sharpest mind, who had the most wisdom, who really kind of stood out in the crowd. And if you go back and read this, that king told his people to take three years and teach Daniel and others, teach them for three years their language, their customs, to teach them how they do things, to teach them their systems. To basically indoctrinate them into this new way of life in this other kingdom. So these guys had a real challenge on their hand. And that was to, to, as they walked through this foreign land, keep a firm grip on their identity and their God. Because the world and that king was consciously 
trying to take it out of them. Trying to take out of them who they were and cause them to adapt and transform to this new way of life. New language, new custom, new religion. And this is what Daniel was up against. And I won't take time to read the whole thing, but you know the story. They found favor. They, they, they all got promoted up to very high levels. And there was one day when King Nebuchadnezzar, he woke up one morning and had a dream the night before. And he gathered together his magicians. He gathered his soothsayers and, and, and all these different ones, the Chaldeans. And he said, here's the deal. I've had a dream. I want to know the interpretation of it. But I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed. You have to tell me what I dreamed. And you have to tell me the interpretation of it. And if you don't tell me what I dreamed, I'm going to kill all y'all. And the magicians and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, they said, King, this is, this is impossible. You can't ask us to do this. Now, if you'll tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. But no man can tell you what you dreamed. And he said, you're stalling. And this king, I don't know if he's just power tripping on what, but he starts killing these guys. And they're going right down the line, and they're coming to Daniel. And Daniel says to the, 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 the individual, I suppose, that he worked for, he said, what, what's so urgent about this? And he explained everything to him, and he said, give me time. And he went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, told them the whole thing, and they began to pray. What are they doing? Acknowledging. Acknowledging that the only way out of this mess is God. There's no way they can come up with this on their own. How are you going to do that? How are you going to tell somebody what they dreamed? And they begin to pray. And they begin to ask the Lord. And in the nighttime, the Lord gave them the answer. But here's what I want you to see. This is what Daniel said the moment he woke up. Having been given the answer and told the dream. Daniel, verse 20 of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. He's acknowledging God. Wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. What's he doing? You did this. Wisdom's with you. Power's with you. I'm acknowledging you. There's no way I could have known this if it wasn't for you. There's no way I would have had this answer if it wasn't for you. You are the one that revealed secrets. You are the one that shows the way. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. This is acknowledging God. This is how you get established in faith. This is how you began your walk with him. This is how you continue your walk with him. You acknowledge him all along the way. It's you who saved me. It's you who gave me a call. It's you who's anointed me. It's you who's given to me. It's you who's prospered me. It's you who have answered questions. It's you who's given us the way out of trouble. What's happening all along that path, all the glory's going to him. All the recognition's going to him. All the acknowledging is going to him, to him, to him. And the more the more you do that, the more he directs your path. The less you do it, the more you're directing your path. And you're forced to lean on your own understanding. Do you realize the, the, the percentage of the population 
that's letting Google direct their path? Oh, you're laughing. It's happening. Safest city to live in. Hey, we're moving to uh, whatever Google said. Where to get the highest paying job. Hey, I think I'm going to apply at Google's directing their steps. Not us. You can use your head. Absolutely. I wish more of us would. But when it comes to decision making time, where should you be leaning? Who should you be acknowledging? Your own understanding? Somebody else's understanding? No. There is a God. There is a God. Now this goes on. Uh, He told the king the dream. He told them to the interpretation of it. And evidently, he was right because it says in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, commanded that they should present an offering, an incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. What's happening? He's acknowledging God. He's acknowledging God. Now somewhere along the way, he forgot. Not Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. Because he gets this big idea, I'm going to build this huge image. I'm going to get some musicians together. And when everybody starts playing, everybody else is going to bow down to this image. And that's what everybody did. Except for three guys. Now, when hundreds of thousands of people have bowed down and they're all on the ground... And there's three still standing. That sticks out. That will stand out in a crowd. And when people saw it. They immediately came to the king. And complained about these three. And one of the things they complained. Was they said. They don't have due regard for you. You want to know what the problem was? These three. Would not acknowledge. Another God. These three refused to acknowledge some other God. And when they got hauled before the king, he said, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you into this fire. And again, people have made stuff up about this whole thing. They've said that the Hebrew children, that, Dan, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, you know, if, if, you, if you don't throw it, or he, he, they said, if you do throw us in, our God will save us. But if he doesn't save us, we're not bound. That's not what they said. That's not what they said. I don't have time to preach on this whole thing. But really what they said was, if you do throw us in, we're not bound. He's going to save us. If you don't throw us in, we're still not bound. We're not acknowledging another God. We're not acknowledging another God. And you know the whole story, what happened? He threw them in. They stood there. There was a fourth one there. King was like, uh, one, two, three. Wait a second. And you know what happened? He called them out. He saw that God saved them. And he again acknowledged their God. That's what this whole book of Daniel is about. Acknowledging God. This is the last example I wanted to bring you to. Musicians, you guys come on up. It's in chapter six. You know this. But it says in chapter 6 of Daniel, we've got a new king in place, King Darius. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. 
that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, you know what happens here? These other rulers and authorities get jealous of Daniel and they start looking for something that they can accuse him with. But the closer they looked at his life, the less they could find. They could not find him messing up in anything. They couldn't find him making any mistakes. And they finally decided the only thing we've got to use against him is this devotion he has to his God. So they've devised a plan. It said in verse 5, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Uh, In verse 6, they come before the king. Verse 7, all the governors of the kingdom. They're saying this to the king, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors. We've all consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Verse 10, though, look. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. Now, here is where you decide which path you're on. I mean, think about it. It's just 30 days. It's just 30 days. In order to save my life and keep, keep myself out of the lion's den, can I just go 30 days? Are you a religious person? Yes, absolutely. You believe in God? I believe in God. Okay, well, you can't pray for 30 days or we're throwing you the den. I needed a break anyway. Thank you. <laughs> but when he knew this, he knew what was happening He knew the decree that had been signed. What happened? He went home and in his upper room with his windows open, he could have just shut them. He could have just shut them and nobody would have ever known. But they were open. What did Jesus say was on that road to life? He said it was hard. There's pressure. There's persecution. What is that pressure that's on us as we walk that path of life? It's the pressure to stop acknowledging God. That's the pressure we're under right now in this nation and around this world. Perhaps in a way like we haven't been in our whole lifetime. There are currently people working hard to pass laws just like this one. Cases are constantly coming up before the Supreme Court. This one prayed. This one talked about God. This one knelt down in a, in a football field. What's the pressure here? Stop acknowledging God. Stop. It's the same stuff that was going on in Daniel's day. Stop acknowledging God. And they went to the king and said, if anybody else acknowledges any other God, 
If anybody else petitions another God, if anybody else sees some other God other than you, O king, as their source, we're going to throw them in the lion's den. What did Daniel do? Went straight home, upstairs, opened the window, knelt down, and began to pray and acknowledge God. He knelt down on his knees three times that day. It's like, hey guys, if you didn't see me the first time, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And guess what I'm going to be doing tomorrow when I get up? Acknowledging God again. And acknowledging God again. And acknowledging God again. If I want him directing my path, I'm going to keep acknowledging him. And you know the rest of this. You know how it went. They... They used that information. Go ahead, guys. They used that against him. They took it back to the king. The king was grieved because he loved Daniel, but the law had been signed. And you know what happened? It looked like Daniel was on the road to destruction, the path to death. But where does acknowledging God lead you? He directs your path to life. In the middle of the lion's den, the angels come and shut the lion's mouth. Glory to God. How did that miracle happen? How did that man survive it? How did he escape from that alive? He never stopped acknowledging God. Amen? Come on, let's stand up together. We're going to do that together right now. Just take a minute. Just be vocal and acknowledge God. Acknowledge there is a God. Acknowledge that he is your savior. Acknowledge that he is your source. He is your peace. He is your joy. He is your life. If some of you right now are in the middle of making decisions about your life, your family, jobs, direction, whatever it is, take time. Acknowledge him together as a family. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge that he has a plan. Acknowledge that he has a will. And don't make a move until you know what it is. Come on, every head bowed, every hand lifted, every eye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.